0: Episode number three. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff. And I'm happy to be here this week. Simply because it's better than the alternative, which is not being here. Anyway, there's a lot of wild stuff going on in this week's Parsha. Before I talk about the Parsha, I want to talk about what's going to happen during the show. First, we're going to start out with the Parsha. Then, which means the weekly portion of the week in the Torah itself. Then I'm going to do a little piece on Talmudic logic. Then I'm going to have a great stories about great rabbis, a story about a big rabbi. And my last piece will be on peace in your home, how to communicate better. So stick around. You're going to hear all about all these different things. Okay, in the portion of the week, which is called Truma, Truma means to give a gift. The Jewish people are commanded to give gifts in order to build the Mishkan. Mishkan means the place where the presence of God is going to exist. So I want to bring a Midrash that speaks about this subject. The Midrash says like this, man doesn't really know what the Torah is. And the only way we do know what it is is by the commission and the fact that Moshe gave over the Torah to the Jewish people. What did he get as his commission? It says that Moshe didn't know that his face shone. Actually, his face shone so much that he had to cover it up in order to speak to the Jewish people after that point. But his face was shining like the sun. He didn't know it. So you see, that was his commission. You can learn from there the value of the Torah itself. Then it goes a little further and it says there's also types of transactions where the person who owns the object comes along with the transaction. Okay, it's not so common, but in this case it happened because the verse says Yikach truma, take for me truma. In other words, God came along, the midrash learns, that God came along with the transaction when the Jewish people gave their money in order to build a mishkan, a place where God could dwell. So they acquired God along with the deal. Lahavdel which means to make a separation. And we can really say we acquired God. But in a certain sense, God came with the deal. So the Svas Emes is now going to explain, who is the Sfas Emes, one of the great Hasidic Sherebis, is going to explain this Midrash. It says that Moshe's face glowed. Now what do it mean It glowed? It had a radiance. It means that the Torah enhanced his spirituality. The Torah has the ability to enhance the spirituality of a human being. It's kadosh. It's holy. The more we interact with it, the more we relate to it, the more we think about it, we start to become holy people. We start to become spiritual. There's a transformation that starts to occur in our inner being. We start to think differently and look at life differently we become spiritual beings. And we saw this on Moshe Ruben. We saw that by the commission, as if he got the commission, the commission was that his face started to shine. And the Apostolk in Cahillus says like this, a man's wisdom lights up his face and the boldness of his face is transformed. The more wise a person becomes, the actual face starts to shine. There were stories once when they were trying to hide the brisk rob from the Nazis, they tried to, you know, dress him up different ways, but uh, his face was shining. It was very hard to hide him. These are, uh, you know, this this was the reality. The reality was that his face was shining. So that was the first part of the, the Midrash. And the second part, the Sfas Samas explains, is what does it mean they will acquire me? How can we acquire God? It means that God will start to relate to us as we accept the Torah upon ourselves, the commandments, the mitzvahs. God will start to relate to us more. And the more we relate to it, the more we will receive. And on the other hand, if we don't relate to the Torah, we will not receive the spirituality that we're supposed to get. He says an unbelievable thing. He says our relationship with God is 100% dependent upon us. In other words, God threw the ball into our hands. Do we want to relate to God or not? God is so far beyond us in a certain sense. He's so far beyond this world There are stars that are hundreds of millions of light years away. And God is way beyond all that. And God is creating all these things. What stops the earth from spinning off its orbit and flying into the sun? One thing goes wrong in this universe, the whole thing's over. And God created the universe in all of its perfection. And he's much, much beyond. And on this, I want to bring the Chavetz Chaim, who brings the Pasikta, who explains on the verse, let them make a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. So it says there, how is it possible for man to make a house for God? Doesn't make any sense. The verse says, heaven and the heavens cannot contain you. Nothing can contain God. How are you going to take God who's totally infinite beyond space and time and have his presence dwell into a small dwelling? This is the question that Moshe asked God when he asked him to make him a sanctuary. How is it possible? So God answered him. I don't ask according to my measurements, according to my strength. I am speaking according to yours. All you have to do is put 20 boards on this side and 20 boards on that, and you can build it. My presence is going to dwell there. So Moshe said, and even if I brought all the animals and sacrificed all the animals for your sake, does it mean anything to you? Or if I burn every tree in the world and make a fire so great that it would burn up to the heavens, would it mean anything to you? And God answered, no, all you need to do is put one little lamb on the altar and that's enough. And then Moshe Rabbeinu asked them, what about the pigeon and that fish? What about if a person has to die? We know you're supposed to give a ransom for a soul. How is it possible to offer up anything for a human being? A human being's soul is so vast. It's so deep. It's so rich. There's so much going on in one human being. How is it possible to replace him with something that we can offer to God as a replacement for his sins. To replace him, if he did something wrong and he's really not supposed to be in this world anymore, what can he do to continue to live? God said, don't worry, just give half a shekel. So the Chavetz Chaim explains, we are only obligated to do what's in our power. Even though it makes no sense in terms of the magnitude of what we are actually obligated, or how can we possibly relate to God who's infinite, God said no. He brings the famous words of the rabbis that say like this, Open up an opening for me, the thin of a needle. I want to open for you like the gate of a hall. So each person just has to do what he's obligated to do. So any person can go and open up the books. Just open up the books, start to read the Chumash with Rashi. Look in Mishnayos, maybe go to Adaf Yomish or Find a friend who can teach you Halacha, a law or two, And then you'll start to, things will start to open up for you. The spirituality will start to come in person starts to do mitzvahs, light Shabbos candle. doesn't keep Shabbos. Okay, he doesn't keep Shabbos. Light candles before the sun goes down on Friday night. You'll be surprised to see what could happen. But the it's Chaim explains there's a downside to this whole story. What is a downside? And I'm going to bring Rubeno Bachiel also who talks about that. He says that a rich man cannot be exempt with the giving of a poor man. In other words, a poor man can only give a small amount. And a rich man is obligated to give more. And don't think that if you're rich, if you have more spirituality, if you have more understanding that you can goof off and give less, this is not going to work. It's going to be detrimental. And I want to bring the Rebbeno Bachia who explains that. So the Rebbeno Bachia, who is a Rishon, one of the earlier rabbis, explains that anyone displaying laziness in his attitude of the acquisition of the Torah is liable to punishment. In other words, you better watch out. You get involved with the spirituality stuff, you can wind up in trouble. It's not a question, he says, of lip service, of serving God with a lukewarm heart. It's like you have a kid in the house, you need to clean up, so the kid's sitting on the couch. And you ask the kid to help. So on one side, if he would just sit on the couch, maybe you would get a little bit angry. But if he gets up and starts moping around, all of a sudden your anger starts to flare. Because here's the kid he's supposed to be helping, and he's helping with a lukewarm attitude, to say the least. So um, that's the same thing between, uh, between us and God. Even a king. Imagine you go to the king, and you have a, you're coming lazy and not dressed properly. Uh, I mean, everybody understands this idea. You have this thing with the Olympics. I forgot it was I think it was a Chinese. Well, somebody didn't dress properly, didn't have a tie on, didn't represent his country. So if you're going to play the game, you got to play the game until the end we have no choice but to play the game. The Robben Obachi explains it's like a two-edged sword in the sense it's like fire, for example. Fire gives warmth, which is a good thing, but it also has smoke. Vinegar is bad for the teeth, but it's good for the stomach, so you have things that have two sides. But he continues, he says like this, When a person is diligent in perfecting his character traits, he will experience that he enjoys constant personality growth. In other words, if you start to plug away, things are going to start to move. On the other hand, it brings a pasach from Mishlei, Proverbs, it says, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is paved. So, in terms of spirituality, there is a dangerous side. I want to go back to a minute to what this Vasem has said. He said that everything is dependent on us. That is a really scary thought. In other words, in a certain sense, you know, we don't like to review all these things, but it happens to be true. God does not need us. You'll say, what do you mean he doesn't need us? We hate to serve him. He needs us to reveal him in the world and to show the world who God is. He doesn't need us. If he had needs, he wouldn't be God. God has no needs. If God has no needs, he doesn't need us either. We need him. We need him for everything. Because nothing happens without a blessing from God. God. This is a story my Rosh Hashiva used to tell over. One time he went to a very rich man who was sick. He was so sick, unfortunately, that he had to have a maid to serve him food. So he says to the Rosh Hashiva, I'm a millionaire. The food is on the table. It's prepared. It's right in front of me. But I can't bring the fork to my mouth. I need my maid. And she's in a bad mood. What am I supposed to do? She doesn't want to feed me. So everything there, everything's set up. Same thing in life. Everything is set up. Everything can work. But without the blessing of God, without the okay, without the decree that it's going to happen, it will not happen. That's what people don't, I, what's the difference between an expert and a non-expert? Expert understands everything can go wrong. A non-expert says, well, what's the problem? Everything, my my kids say, "Ma bayam. What's the problem? What's the problem? No problem. An immature mind thinks that there's no problem. A mature mind understands how many things could go wrong. How many things you need to be into place for a thing to happen. It's only with the blessings of God that things happen. We need God. We need God for our children to come out right. We need God for our relationships to come out right. We need God to have money. We need God to have health. We need God for everything. We need God to keep the world on its axis so it doesn't spin off and hit the sun. Uh, But you'll say to me, Rabbi, Come on, I don't feel any of these things. What do I need? I need God for all this stuff. Come on, all this stuff happens by itself. I work, I get money, and my health is okay. I eat healthy, I run, I exercise. What what are you talking about? The answer is because spirituality is dependent on us. We have to take the step towards God, and then God will come into our lives. If we don't take a step towards God, you need a big blessing. Sometimes it is true that God will come into your life because on the merits of your forefathers, that God gives a a person a greater, closer chance to come close to him. But in general, it's dependent on us. It's not going to happen unless we take a step towards God. That's what this whole piece is about. And the Svasem said, the amount that you put in, that's the amount that you're going to get back. And I want to bring down here the Mikta Eliyahu. He also says a very interesting thing, same kind of idea. You have the Mishkan and you have the Migdash. We know in Chazal the rabbis have two different words for the sanctuary where God dwelled. We know that sometimes it's referred to as a Mishkan, which means a dwelling place. And sometimes it's referred to as a Migdash, which is a place of holiness. On one side, it's a mishkan, which means it's a dwelling place that God comes down to us. On the other side, it's a migdash. It's a holy place that we can hardly come up to it. And he brings the verses. One, in terms of being a lowly place that like God's coming down into our world, he says, The commandments of God are straightforward and rejoice the heart. The person is very, very happy. On the other hand, we start to come up to God. So it says, Rejoice in trembling, fear. We start to really relate that we are actually relating to the master of the universe. We would faint. But Now, this dynamic relationship between us and God, us going up to Him and Him coming down to us, is always wavering back and forth. But the main thing is that we have to push. We have to come close to God. It's up to us to use our free will to reveal God, to see God in the world, and to come closer. And the main way is through the Torah itself through learning the Torah, sitting and spending hours in thinking about what life is about, what's called cheshbon and nefesh, doing an accounting of your soul. Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What do I want out of life? What's my goal? Questioning, constantly pushing to find the purpose in life. And that is the way that a God will come into your life. It's not going to happen any other way. Now, I want to just now bring the kliyakar. This is a very beautiful thing. It brings a Gemara that's like this. He who prays must direct his eyes below and his heart above. Now, what does that mean? The eyes, the eyes are the things that go after this world, what you see, your senses. So the eyes have to go down, and the heart, which is the relating of the human being to God, has to go up. And so he explains that the inside the Mishkan, inside the dwelling of God, one thing was the holy ark. So the measurements of the ark were always created in fractions. In other words, halves, one and a half. The length of the ark was one and a half amos, and the width of the ark was two and a half amos. Now, the ark relates to the pure spirituality. So in terms of that relates to the heart, to the dwelling of God, that always has to to be set in halves. Why halves? Because a person always has to feel that he's missing. A person always has to feel that he wants to get more, more spirituality. On the other hand, the table, which was inside the Mishkan, was built, parts of it were built on whole measurements, which took, he says has two meanings. One meaning was that a person should be happy with what he has. He should feel whole. It's called Tzmeikh to be happy with his lot when it comes to the physical world. And the other parts of the table, which were built in halves, that's to realize that you'll never, ever fulfill all your physical desires. It's impossible. No matter how much you run after them, they will never be fulfilled. Now, I just want to point out that there's no concept of sameach b'chelko, to be happy with your lot in terms of spirituality. Spirituality is infinite. You can get more and more and more. There's no such thing as saying, ah, a little bit is okay for me. It's not really true. A person is tricking himself. Because even in in the physical, a person can never say, the Messiah Hisham brings down, that a person can't say, oh, enough. Well, yeah, it's okay that I drive a Subaru. Even my neighbor's driving a Mercedes. That's okay maybe for a while, but not forever. Imagine in the world of spirituality, whatever you get here, that's what you take with you into the next world. That's going to be forever. You never go to see your neighbor driving a brand new Mercedes all day while you're driving, driving a Subaru. It's not really true. So to conclude, I just want to bring one last piece here, which is with Chaim Shmuel, Lavachan the Parsha. He says a beautiful thing, and he brings the Rashi. When it says that you should make for me a Migdash, so Rashi says there, Li Lishmi for my name. This Migdash, this place where God is going to dwell, has to be 100% for the sake of God. It can't be any side things. It can't be for your kavod, for your honor, for your benefits, for the money you're going to make out of it, for any kind of personal thing. Spirituality has to be 100%. And if your spirituality is 100%, and if you push and try to grow you're guaranteed that you will grow. And the benefits, which we saw from Moshe Rabbeinu's shining face, is real inner growth. Real growth in your inner being, and then all reality changes. The whole life becomes different, and it's called quality living. This podcast is called The Higher Life Podcast, which means quality living, living with spirituality, living with higher values and having a better and happier life. Okay, that's the end of the first piece. Now we're going to speak a little bit about Talmudic logic. And now, Talmudic logic, learning to think about thinking. So I hope to cover every week a little bit of a Talmudic logic. The Torah itself is a text. Now, in order to understand a text, you have to spend time in the text. And you have to know how to read a text. And you have to understand how to get from thought, word, thought. The author, whoever wrote the text, whether it be God Himself or the rabbis or later rabbis, early rabbis, they wrote, how to thought. They put that thought into words, and then that word, we have to produce the thought. Now, how are we going to do that? Vyvytska Kantfenton wrote a little book called Dark Gemara, The Way of the Gemara, The Way of the Talmud. And he starts like this He says, Harote your baby Yeshiva, somebody who wants to become wise should increase his devotion in the yeshiva, that's a gemara nida. You have to sit, you have to spend time on the text, thinking about it, looking at it this way, looking at it that way, back and forth. And he says it's inconceivable that person will not discover something completely new. The more you look into it, the more that's going to come out of it, the more you're going to appreciate it, the more you understand the words, the beauty of the words, the intention of the words. And he brings a Gemara Khagiga that says, there is no comparison between one who studies a text 100 times and one who studies the same text 101 times. That's why we're sitting in yeshiva all day. What do Jewish people do? They sit in yeshiva. What do rabbis do is they sit in yeshiva. They're going over it again and again and back and forth. And the more you go over it back and forth, the more the beauty comes out and you see a chokmah, a wisdom that is so far beyond anything else that's available in our world, you start to appreciate what the Torah really is. I could give an example from business. Sometimes a guy could work in a business for two, three years, five years, 10 years, and all of a sudden he gets an angle on something and he goes, wow, I understand this now. I didn't understand that. He has a different way of looking at it. The same thing happens to the Torah. The Torah is God's word. The more you spend in it, the more you're going to understand it, the more it's going to help you grow and to become a greater person. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. Okay, I want to tell a little story about Rav Aaron Cutler. Rav Aaron Cutler was the great Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood. An unbelievable Torah scholar. He says like this. I'll just tell you the story about, this is an amazing thing. He talked about people who witnessed Rav Aaron Cutler in real life, spent time with him in his house, and they said that even during his meals, he was involved in learning. This was the way of the Rosh Hashivas. They were constantly involved in learning, nonstop, 24-7. As long as they were awake, they were learning until they went to sleep. So the cook of the yeshiva saw that Rev. Aaron was so involved in learning when he was even, even eating. He wasn't paying attention to what he was eating. So she decided that she is going to cook, cut up his food before he eats it. So he would be served a plate of food that was already cut in order that it wouldn't interfere with his learning. This basically means that he was eating for the sake of God. He wasn't involved in just getting the real pleasure out of the food. He was so involved in the pleasure that he was getting from the learning that the food was really just a side point. The Rebbetson said about him, his wife, the Rebbetson said about him, his wife said she never remembered him eating without a book open in front of him. You wonder why he became Reverend Cutler. That's the only way he became Reverend Cutler. And there's another story with... He was sitting with Rev. Beryl Pecker and the Rebbiton served dessert. And Rev. Aaron was a little bit bewildered. He didn't understand why the Rebbiton <laughs> served dessert first. But really, she did not serve dessert first because he just didn't pay attention that he actually finished the meal. He didn't know that he finished the meal. And another story was that one time the Rosh Hashiva asked for a cup of coffee and the person said the Rebbiton was also wondering what that was about because the person sitting next to the Rosh Chivas says, he didn't even realize what, what he ate was fleshik or if it was milkic. What's the point of these stories? The point of these story is that the Rosh Hashim was so involved in learning that the physical pleasures of food was really just secondary to him. And that's what starts to happen to a person who gets involved in learning in a real way is the physical world starts to lose its meaning and the Torah itself takes on new dimensions. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So the last part of this podcast is peace in your home. How to get peace in your house between you and your spouse, between you and your kids. So one basic fundamental rule, which everybody knows, is communication. How do you get communication happening where both people feel they were listened to? Even though there doesn't have to be an agreement but at least each side has to feel that the other person heard what they said. It relaxes everybody. It makes everybody feel that they respect each other. So the way to produce that is to realize that the main part of the conversation is to listen. Our obligation in a conversation is to listen, to hear what the other person's saying, even though we disagree with them. The problem is we're so busy interrupting, involved in our own thoughts, what we want to say. We don't even hear what the other person's saying. We have Avram Tursky, even made a joke that maybe couples should speak with two-way radios, which means walkie-talkies. You remember those walkie-talkies? You push on it. Only one person could speak at a time. That would solve a lot of problems in the house if you just listen to what the other person says. And there's a story where Rav Yitzchak Elkanah once listened to 15 students tell him the same story. There was a big news in the yeshiva. So all the students felt that they were the first person to tell the Rosh yeshiva what happened. And he went along with it and listened to each one and pretended and said, thank you for telling me. He knew how to listen which makes the other person feel good, which makes the relationship healthy. Another point is you have to know when to talk. Not every time is the right time to talk about things. You know, if you're talking about something serious, you don't talk about it in a public place. You don't talk about it if your kids are around, or you don't talk about it from one kid if the other kid is around. You have to know when to speak about things the other person feels comfortable. Again, it's a question of respect. And you have to know how to say what you want to say. don't scream it. Eh? The Kahala says, the words of the wise are heard when spoken softly. Speak softly, make the, person feel, make the person feel comfortable. The main thing is that the other person has to feel that they got their message across, the way that they wanted to say it. And when that happens, you start to feel close to the person. You really understand them. They're expressing themselves and you're hearing what they're saying. How can a couple really get to know each other if they don't listen to each other? How are you supposed to build a relationship? It's about communication. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. I hope to speak to you next week. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends. If it helped you, it can help others also. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.